0: Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the Fatherhood Authority. Kenneth Braswell
1: Welcome to I Am Dad Podcast I'm your host Kenneth Braswell Thank you again for joining us um, As we continue to have um, Such special guests And talking about Um, Fatherhood as it relates to either doing the work of responsible fatherhood, talking to great dads, talking to people who are inspired by their dads, talking to folks who are inspired by being dads, you know, all wherever there is a fatherhood theme and anything that I see, um, I believe it's a subject of um, necessity for I Am Dad podcast and today's conversation is no different from that. Our three desk guests today is um, Buila Steptoe. Um, she is a literacy advocate and workshop presenter. Her mission is to educate and share the legacy of her father, John Lewis Steptoe, the award-winning children's books author and illustrator with the world. And we're gonna talk about a book that he wrote and an exciting project around that book. I also have Taryn Janelle um, is a multidisciplinary and creative who works in the intersections of art, education, and business over 30 years in the theater. She has won hats as a director, actor, choreographer, producer, and arts director. And then I have Laurel Ross, who is here in Atlanta. He's a musician born in Camden, New Jersey, um, the suburbs of New York, as, as, as we like to say, Um, he traveled to Atlanta to study music at Morehouse College with a concentration in vocal performance, and you can see all of their complete bios on our website, where the podcast will be hosted. How's everyone doing?
2: Great.
3: Wonderful. Wonderful. Wonderful.
1: So here's how I start all of my, um, podcasts before we even get into the subject matter, and I'd like, um, and I want Taryn, you to go first, and then realm and then you, Boyler, because we're gonna go into a conversation after you ask this question. But I ask everybody on the show that comes to this show, "What's your daddy story?"
4: Okay. So, uh, well, my father, I, I love, I love, I love my daddy's story. My dad is from Detroit. And then moved to Alabama, where I was born. So he, we very much were a, fa- and my mom is from the South. So we very much were a family of Southerners with this Northerner kind of dropped into that situation, uh, and that and that played out in a variety of different ways, from the temperature in the house to uh, the way that we saw the world. Um, but what it also did is really infused him uh, because he, his his own mother was a musician um, and worked with Motown artists um, and toured with Motown. So he had a love of music uh, and a love of all things arts. And even though he grew up to be uh, an engineer and, and I am from an engineering town in Alabama, and that's in, both my parents were engineers. Um, he was a cre- he is a creative. Um, we grew up singing karaoke together, and I learned how to harmonize with my dad. Um, I I have a love of music because of my father. So so the first thing I did uh, even in this project, I he's heard he's heard all the music already. <laughs> back <laughs> um, because because i value uh his opinion very much you know that the the, the father daughter relationship you know life is what it is and and you know the, it has ebbs and flows um and the complications and challenges and joys and loves um but but music has always been the thing that has brought us together um and so we we still have that connection just today i was just speaking nice. to him this morning i love him very much
1: nice thank you for that story well
3: uh well for me um i'm one of a huge family huge 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 family and my father <laughs> is by no stretch a musician but he knows good music he knows good music and um he kind of helped incorporate in me um to really really my love for music And um, even further than that, with me being one of eight, you can imagine with us doing music, we were a band, we were a choir and all of that. And a lot of it came from my father's uh, just uh, playing good music. And then from there, uh, I kind of took it upon myself, Ooh, I hear this, I like this. Hey, you sing this or you play this and I'll play this. And then from there, you know, uh, it really kind of helped put me on my path of uh, being a musician overall, as a composer, as a vocalist, um, as a pianist overall. So he he played uh, through his good taste in music, he played a good role <laughs> in my development, or at least inspired me to pursue, me, pursue music full time. Nice. Wheeler, my homie. Talk
2: to me. Um, <laughs> <John. laughs> father story. Oh gosh, I have so many father stories. Um well I will I'll give the, the I guess to the, the, the snippet. I'll give one father story. Well, basically my father and I have definitely had a love hate <laughs> relationship. Um I, I I love my father very much and I know he loves me very much. Uh and, and that's clear because um I'm in me as well as my brother are in a lot of his books um but particularly i am in mafaros and i'll tell you uh, i'll tell you yeah i'll tell you a story about that um so what uh when he was i like after he did mafaros and you know i was when he did mafaros i was 12 years old so a lot of the images most of the image are, images are from me being 12 years old. And um, so I think like during my teenage years, I was like, daddy, do you think I'm ugly? He's like, do you think I put an ugly girl in a cover of my book? So I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I was like, okay, thank you. So that's the type of relationship we had. We had a very like down to earth relationship. My father is this like, I could talk to him like a friend. A lot of times people thought he was my boyfriend. I was like, ew, no, he's my father. Um, he. And, 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 you know, he, we were always joking and, you know, laughing and playing with each other. And he taught me a lot of stuff. And he, he, the one thing that he taught me that he probably be like laughing right now at me because I'm actually admitting that, you know, I actually learned something from him is that you know, like you have, whatever you want to do in life, you have to like it. You have to get up. Like he always said to me, whatever you do, make sure you want to get up and do it. Like, make sure you want to get up every day and do this thing because this is something you are going to be doing. And definitely he loved what he did. He loved creating books. He loved creating stories. He loved telling stories. He loved sharing stories. He loved art, he loved art. He did not know how to draw. When he first started drawing, he had no idea. He had he didn't know how to draw at all. Mm-hmm. And I thought growing up with my father and my brother and my mother, they all went to art and design. They all knew how to draw. They all just like they just seemed like the the images just flowed out of their fingers. So for me it it wasn't like that. But he what he told me is that you have to practice. You have to practice because he showed me images of his drawings when he could not draw. And I was like, wow, you really couldn't draw. And but he kept practicing because he really loved drawing. So it just went from you know, that scribble to that beautiful image where it almost looks like it's a painting, I mean, like a photograph, like he no. took a photograph of you. And so that that shows the passion that he had and what he was doing. And then it also shows the love that he had for his children, you know, and the love he had for me because of the fact that he incorporated us in a lot of his work and just the love for his family in general, because, Um, a lot of his stories are based on, like his first, the first story, Stevie is based on um, his mother, my grandmother taking care of other children. So most of the stories that my father wrote had family because if family was important.
1: Yeah, I believe in the echoes of the father. Um, I'm actually writing a book now um, entitled that Echoes of the Father. And what I mean by that is that There are things that we do in life that we project out into the world that creates an echo of our father's voice that reminds us that no matter how we might think of him, whether or not he was a part of our life or not a part of our life that his voice is always speaking to us and we're always reverberating his spirit in our life, regardless of the relationship that we have. So that reverberation can be negative and positive, but the echo is real. And it happens with our mothers too, but since we're talking about fathers, because oftentimes we don't think that, or individuals that um, do not have the pleasure or have not had the pleasure of their father's presence in their lives does not mean that they don't have the existence of their fathers in their lives right so that that not that 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 mm-hmm. presence no matter where it is can have an impact on your life which is why I love talking to folks who are in the creative space who are doing things around specifically fatherhood because we don't typically in my work get a chance to Um, talk about and have great stories, which is why I make everyone start off with their daddy story. And all the daddy stories are different. Sometimes they're beautiful like these three. Sometimes like like in a conversation I had not too long ago, um, I cried the entire interview because it was that kind of echo that was echoing in this person's life. But Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters, um, An African Tale, is such, and I've, I've read that book before, but when I was brought back to it again and I actually sat down and peacefully read it again, it just reminded me of the beauty and the influence that fathers specifically have on girls, right? And And how that resonates in his life. When you guys began to start thinking about um, creating the play off of this book. Why was it out of all the books that he has written, you narrowed in on this one?
4: Answer that. So, synchronicity in general, um, well, first of all, we always base our family series, the series that involves stories that are um, for families. On books, so as we are searching through the stories to tell, what what stories are available to tell, what books um, resonated with us when we were children, um, what what stories do we think will resonate with our larger audience? And Mufaro's was one of those ones that you know I I grew up with. I I am. A, Born just before the book came out, um, and so it was a book that was naturally in the schools that I that I was going to at that time because it was the book of, of that time. Um, so I remembered it, and when we saw that it was a title that 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 could be you know used, it was very much a let's let's find this, let's see you know what is what is this what is this. Uh, Bit of memory coming back. What does this look like? Um, and Guila is, I. Right. Really easy to find. <laughs> it's very reachable, approachable. Um, so when our, our producer, as as the producer synchronicity, was able to reach out to her, and she was just so uh, loving and giving, and and willing to kind of share uh, that story with us. So it was really a, just a process of, hey, I remember this thing. I love this thing. Um, is this even possible to to move forward with? And with we on board, and and as as much care as she hasn't given to this particular um, story, but you know John's legacy in in altogether. Um, they re- it was really just kind of kismet if it, it, all the pieces fit together.
1: Mm-hmm. Wheeler, do you would you describe yourself as a daddy's girl?
2: Definitely, am a daddy's girl. <laughs> I mean, my father <laughs> talked to me about everything. I mean, and and it's funny because I talked to him about things that like he would bring up things to me that my mother was never talked to me about so I definitely um definitely yes well and also I'm his only daughter so I don't know if that matters too but I am his only daughter and I'm I'm his the firstborn, and I and I I I got to you know like I said we we some I think we bumped heads so much I just found out that my moon rising, I think, is the same sign as his. So I think that that's probably why we bumped heads a lot. But at the same token, it was like, we still got along really, really well. And I was still able to talk to him about a lot of things that I couldn't talk to him with, about my, with my mother about. And um, he he was, he was the one that talked to me about sex. He's the one that talked to me about birth control. He's the one that talked to me about boys. He's the one that talked to me about wearing makeup. So it's like, you know, I I definitely can say I'm a daddy's girl, and I I know that when I was born, I got to uh, I got to go to um, Miss, Miss uh, Mississippi University, and they have the letter that he sent um, one of his teachers when I was born, and it, it was just like it was so exciting, and just it was just it felt really good to like just to read the letter and to see how excited he was about becoming a father and about. You know, me being his daughter and, and just the fact that, the you know, the next book he did, you know, he did it de- dedicated to me, which was Uptown, because that was the same year I was born. So it's just like, you know, with, with all the, the love-hate, it's, it, it was definitely clear how much he really loved me.
1: They often say that in the arts, <clears throat> when you um, use New York City as the backdrop that New York City comes in as a character, even though it's not a character. Like whatever you see filmed in New York City, New York City should have a credit as being a character because it brings its own personality to the space. Unlike any other city in the world, New York City brings a character to the space. Being that you guys were born and raised in Brooklyn, Brooklyn also brings a very different character to the space when it comes to work. And as I was reading the Book, um, I was looking at it knowing that the backdrop of the book was Africa. But the backdrop of that book could have been Brooklyn had the same sentiment, like it was in there. And so when you think about your dad's writing and you think about what you were surrounded by in terms of environment in Brooklyn, how much of that life, that life growing up and living in Brooklyn was a part of your father's writings?
2: Well, I mean, a a huge part, like the first couple of books that he, that he wrote, that he wrote and illustrated had to do with, with Brooklyn. I mean, uh, Stevie was done, like, like I said, it was based on the, the, the story of my grandmother babysitting other children and my uncle, who was the youngest child, being jealous of her spending, um, Spending time with the other children, or paying attention to the other children instead of always focusing on him. Um, if you if you see in the story, there's a like there's a part where the kids are playing outside, and it says eight forty eight, and that's and that's where we live, eight forty 840 and eight forty eight Monroe Street. So it's like that's that in um, uptown. It, it talks about it talks about uptown but it also and it talks about you know brooklyn but it, it and it talks about just uh black people in general and how they perceive um their situation and what they were going through at the time um train ride definitely brooklyn because it, it starts off in brooklyn at the train station gates avenue and they all hop the train <laughs> like they go over the gate which you know, which was closed, it's closed off now, as far as I know, but it's, it, it's closed off and they, they snuck on the train that way, got on the J train and went, to, if you know anything about Brooklyn and the J train, the first stop in Manhattan is Essex street. So then there's a scene there in the book with S es- it says Essex street on it. And, and the kids are, you know, sitting on a bench waiting for the train to go back home. So, um, Brooklyn is definitely, in my father, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. we can't get out of it. And what I remember the, the the image that it said, it said, be it ever so dangerous, there's no place like home. So even though everybody thinks how at that time Bed-Stuy was dangerous, right? So, but it was still, it's still his home. He's, you know, like he would say, he would talk about like, you know, he would go off to these speeches and award ceremonies and he come back. He's just back in the hood with the regular, you know, with the guys. It's like they don't look at him as this big, great, famous author or illustrator. He's just, you know, he's just another brother hanging out with them. Mm.
1: Lorel, every great movie that has come out of Brooklyn comes out with a strong soundtrack.
3: Brooklyn, mm.
1: do the right thing notorious all of those were specifically filmed in betford stuyvesant and all Mm -hmm. of them have extremely strong soundtracks i don't want to pressure on you bro but what is the soundtrack to mafaro's beautiful daughters and talk to me about what inspired you to create the songs that you guys created for the play
3: absolutely well first off uh the music um the music for Mufara's Beautiful Daughter, the musical that we wrote was not just me, but uh, Taryn and I both. So uh, we collaborated in a pretty unique way where initially it started off uh, where she was responsible for the lyrics of the music, uh, lyrics of the song, and I was responsible for the music and the composition, but it kind of uh, morphed into something where we collaborated in a really beautiful way. Um, And going into it, Bufar's Beautiful Daughter uh, was a story that was in my house growing up. And so I also was familiar with it. And so I, uh, I wanted to approach this transforming this story to a musical in a way that is true to the essence of the story uh, by way of the narrative, by way of the setting and uh, things like that. And it did, But also blend that into the world of theater. Um, so that I can blend the two worlds into a way that is palatable palatable for all those who listen to it and see it. Uh, And so with that, a lot of the rhythms and a lot of the instrumentation that is used, there's a lot of acoustic sounds, um, a lot of African drums and things of that nature. Um, And interesting, our first session, Taryn and I, our first session together, I went and I looked up some sayings and some some uh, proverbs from Zimbabwe, Uh, and one of them, one of them, the very first one that uh, we came across was one that said, uh, if you can walk, you can dance, and if you can talk, you can sing. Beautiful proverb, and it was from there, and translating that um, into uh, Shona, the language of Shona, which is one of the languages in Zimbabwe, it was from that. The melody and the music kind of just burst from there in such an honest way um, that from there, it really just catapulted and uh, shot the rest of the music that we did into where it where it came into what I believe to be a really, really beautiful sound overall. Not just music, but something that elevates the entire story and this particular field of musical theater uh, that is uh, one true to the story, and uh setting of the story but also puts it in a world uh that makes it uh beautiful and understanding the story understandable for all who come to see it
1: well you know the storyline of the book where you have two daughters taking different paths is just a beautiful mm-hmm. story in and of itself right particularly oh, a dad has yeah. involved um, Taryn, when you look at, you know, the choreography and the music that you and Laurel was putting together, um, did you give thought to the fact that this was a story um, that could really be empowering to girls?
4: Oh, most definitely. Um, well, the theme or the, uh, the mission of synchronicity is to uplift the voices of women and girls. So definitely, seeing the power that these young ladies have—it uh, just from the, the book that that John wrote—is um, the, the main reason why you know we we ended up choosing this this story at this time, right? Like it, it is part of our mission. But um, myself, I am a mother of two daughters, so I I am uh, I am keenly aware of the of the <laughs> dynamics that can come out, out of that. Um, and and so I love I love the fact that despite despite the the very different points of view that these ladies have, um Faro never lets them stray too far away from one another. Um, Nayasha has is, is very much keeps them tied together, like they're always tied together even at the very end, you know, it didn't turn out the way Manyara thought, um, but they still ended up together at the end. And, and I love that. Um, even even if it wasn't the way that they envisioned it the beginning. It's beautiful.
1: Mm-hmm. Wheeler, in your journey um in your own life, did you ever think or give thought to that your life would be surrounded by continuing to keep alive and uplift the work of your dad?
2: Um uh, well, I get yes and no. Yeah. Um, I say yes, because, you know, I, my father died when I was, uh, 19. So that's, you know, pretty young to experience. And even he was 38. So that's pretty young. Cause when I turned 38, I was like, wow. I was like, you know, I felt like that was really young. I mean, it is. And, um, when, when I was growing up with him, And, you know, just experiencing being his child, it was just like, you know, more like that's what he did. It wasn't a big deal. Um, And it was like, uh, you know, I want to play and he wants to take pictures of me and I have to play. And he's, you know, he's interrupted me to ask me to stand like this and do this. And how do you, what do you think of this? And what are you thinking of that? And I was just like, yeah, yeah, that's nice. And then, you know, you know, Unfortunately, when he passed away and everybody was like, oh my God, and this, and then I saw like how other people reacted and saw how you know, great this person was that got on my nerves half of the time. Then I was like, oh my gosh, this man is like really great. Like, you know, I missed him as a father and obviously I was sad as father, but as far as his career, I didn't really completely understand who he really, really was. And even though I would go with him places and, you know, like I, I, because of him, I got to meet James Baldwin. I like, I, I still to this day cannot find the picture I have with James Baldwin, but we went to Miami and I just wanted to go to Miami, but there was, you know, but James Baldwin was there. So I got to do, to meet him. And so like with all these experiences that I've had, it made me and then a lot of them have been after he passed away, just finding out more about him and doing research and having <coughs> the honor to have, you know, to to still keep his legacy alive. I started reali- realizing how important he was. Like just even going on Facebook and having everyone say, wow, it was it's so great to have a book, to have someone on the book that looks like me that looks like me, that looks like me, that looks like me. And it, and at the same time, it's funny because I'm like thinking, you know, as a teenager, I don't look so great. <laughs> but everybody else is like, this woman is, you know, this kid, this girl is beautiful. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I like, even for my father, I wish he would have seen this. Like, I wish he could be absorbing this. So I feel like I have to absorb this stuff and I have to keep it alive because he planted the seed, and I have to just keep it going. So I definitely feel uh, as the older I get, the more mature I get. Being a mother, I have twins, and I think that's funny too that I have twins. And mm. <laughs> both of the girls, everybody asks me, um, what are the you know, which one are you, you're the mean one or the nice one. And I mean, I just said it depends on what day you get me, but it's not really about being mean or nice. It's just about different sides because sometimes you don't want to share, right? You don't want to share. And, and then sometimes you want to share. So it's just like, I and I, I never asked him why he used me twice, but um, I know there's a reason why he did, but I have no idea. But maybe it's just to say too that maybe that's what he saw of me, the two sides of me, right? Because that's what it is. So definitely I feel honored and I feel that it's it is part of my duty to to keep the book alive because my father worked really hard and he this is not his only book, right? He has six he has 16 books, but this is the one that has been recognized the most. And it's it's kind of bittersweet because it took him all this time to get this book and then he finally gets this book and then like two years later he passes away. So he didn't even really get the full, he just got the, you know, the beginning part of the feeling of being recognized and being honored and being respected in the business that he was in because that alone was is, was a lot because of, I mean, still today, the, system, the systematic re, um, racism in the publishing industry is, it's ridiculous.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you're talking to someone who has written four children's books, my own book. I just finished a graphic novel not too long ago. None of them were published by traditional publishers. I've self-published everything, um, because there are stories and narratives that I want to put out there into the space. When you think about um, your father and all the things that you've learned about him since um, his passing, what's the most inspiring thing you've heard about your father that you didn't hear or know from
2: him? Um, I don't, there, There's so many things, but I think, I think, the, but but I, I kind of already knew it, but I just really didn't, it, it wasn't a big deal of me, but I just, I realized how much, how much he was in pain how much like suffer, like pain he was in because of the fact of the systematic racial like, race, race oh, the systematic racism because it was like look at me i'm great i'm great i'm great look at all this work i'm doing i'm you know i'm he was a pioneer in that sense right but the the publishing companies didn't really want to see him like that and then so to to be able to continue to do what he was doing and to 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 uh, like be push up against the, all of this stuff that he was going through, it it was a lot for him and I and. And so a lot of things make sense to me now why he wasn't always happy or why he you know, would do some of the things that he did or why he felt uncomfortable about with certain things or why he behaved in the manner that he'd he Because my father is also gay. So of course you can't be black, you can't be gay and you can't write children's books because it's too many, it's like, it's just not what you do, right? So you have to hide a lot. You can't really be who you are, you know, like, Uh, The language in the books, you know, like when he used me and Javaka and my special best words and we were naked because he was teaching us how to, I was teaching my brother how to use the potty. You're not supposed to do that. And there were so many things that he was doing that you weren't supposed to do, but were real things like, you know, daddy's a monster sometimes. It wasn't that he was a monster, but like sometimes the kids, kids will look at their parents as monsters, right? Sometimes parents look at kids as monsters because they are sometimes, right? But those are the things that you're not supposed to talk about. So he talked about a lot of stuff that you weren't supposed to talk about and weren't supposed to deal with. So I've, I realized how much he really went through in his life, um, being an artist and being a children's book illustrator. And particularly so,
1: in those times back then. You're talking in the 70s and you talk yeah. at the time, right?
2: Right. Yeah. I'm talking about this the 70s, the 80s. And then also when he started, he was 16, right? And basically he he, he became this prodigy child because it was he's the first time of you know someone person of color creating children's books he's 16 years old he lives in bedside so it was like a big deal and now they wanted to then then he was on like it is and they were asking him questions about the world and he's like I don't know I'm 16 you know I'm 16 years old I live in bedside like what are you asking me about you know Martin Luther King or this person or that person so it was a lot of pressure that he had you know um being an artist and At that time and being an illustrator and just and just him trying to figure out who he was and with himself. So I definitely give my father like I give him the praises that I don't want to say that I should have given him when he was younger, because I didn't know when I was younger, because I didn't know. Right. I was just his kid. And this is what I grew up in. But I give him his. That's why I, I work so hard now to make sure his legacy legacy stays alive, because I know I, I, I've, seen, I've seen him, you know, working and staying up all night. So I know what he went through. And now I know what he felt. I just saw him doing it, but I didn't know what he was feeling. But now I know what he, now I know. And then I know what he's feeling. And like my brother also writes and illustrates children's books. And my brother had the honor of winning the Caldecott medal, which is like, he's the only, he's the fourth Black person to ever have done that which is ridiculous it's at this it's a it's an honor but at the same time it's ridiculous that uh, out of all of you know all of the black artists and illustrators sorry yeah illustrators and and artists in this um or writers and illustrators in this industry it's only four who've received the award so devaca said that In his heart, my father is one of those people who received the award. He received an honor, but he never received the actual medal. So, you know, he feels that my father received the medal.
1: Yeah, I think I was just talking to, I just interviewed not too long ago, one of the individuals that won that medal, Kwame Alexander. Oh yeah. Uh, And so he's a really good friend of mine. He has a book out now called The Door of No Return um which is based in Ghana um Taryn and Larell when you hear Wheeler talk about the importance of her father the inspiration and the weight of his accomplishments in doing that work given who he was his status and where he was in this world and the societal narrative um what kind of weight does it put on the two of you to ensure that this story is lifted in a way that would truly honor what it was he was trying to accomplish and the messages he was trying to get out there and the work that Wheeler is trying to advance. Well, I don't I don't know
4: about REL, but I don't know that I I don't know that I um translated into weight it's just a a sense of pride and honor and um and we are so incredibly grateful that we were given the opportunity to to do this and and it's so important in the first conversation we had with wheela um she said many of the things that she's said here today and about the importance of of uh, the relationship that she had with John and John's relationship to the arts and with and um, visual arts, you know, this particular drawing and and so we really took that into consideration when putting the piece together, not just in making sure that we were as thoughtful in our research in putting the music together as John was in putting the world of uh, Zimbabwe in the book together we did a lot of a lot of research so that we could make sure that we stood up to that right um but also just in in this particular version uh, John makes an appearance or at least the, the the idea of him makes an appearance so that we really get to to see that that he was the creator of this story that that this came from his heart. Um, that it came from his his uh, his work. Um, so it it was it's incredibly important, but I pressure no pride yes..
3: yeah, and kind of to that point, um uh, it's it's so beautiful to hear some of this background story about John. we have a song uh, one of his main songs in the uh, musical is called And Then. And it's just a song where he is uh, talking to one of his daughters about not being afraid just because of what the situation is or what the setting is to, uh, to keep going, to see what is beyond that and encouraging, um, encouraging his daughter and uh, to just keep going. And so when I think about some of the things that we was talking about, uh, just uh, kind of express to us about John, it, it, I think that it, it highlights what we have come together to show Mufaro in such a beautiful way uh, that reflects the essence of her father, John, and some of the things that she spoke about in a great, great way. So, yeah, no, not necessarily pressure, but it is a beautiful thing to hear some of the background about John and to know that we've kind of hit the nail on the head a little bit with some of the music that we've done. And so it, it is, um, it, it was assur- it's assuring more than kind of a pressure that we feel for that, at least for me, absolutely.
1: So to play debuts at synchronicity here in Atlanta, Georgia, in January, give me some of the particulars about that for people um, who were encouraging to show up um, during this, um, during the play.
4: Yes, the show opens uh, January 27th, that is a Friday at Synchronicity Theater, and those are evening performances, and they're very fun because we do what's called PJs and play. So we invite the audience to come in their pajamas, and we give all the kids cookies, um, and individually wrapped cookies here in COVID times, Um, and and everyone sits and we sometimes allow the kids to kind of lay down on blankets in front of the stage. It's just such a great community building uh, experience to come. Um, It will run for three weeks after that and closes on, make sure I get that date right, on Sunday, uh, the 29th. Okay.
1: Okay, are you excited?
4: I'm very excited. I'm excited
2: for so many different reasons. I'm always excited like, for stuff like this. But one of the main reasons is because um you know, other other theaters have done this play before and everyone always asks me, When is it coming to Atlanta? When is does it come to Atlanta? When is does it come to Atlanta? So ta-da, it's coming to Atlanta, and so I'm gonna come a black Mecca gotta come to black mecca yes exactly so i'm so excited that it's coming to atlanta and and i get to tell everybody on facebook and instagram it's coming to atlanta and i get to go to atlanta because i gotta go i gotta be there i gotta be there for the pajama the pajama day (laughs) i already got my pajamas in my head ready i'm gonna design some pajamas so i'm so i'm excited i'm always excited
1: I actually just thinking because one of the nights is our nights and we're bringing our dads and their kids out um, for one of the nights that we're going to be doing attached to our program, um, Real Dads Read, where we're giving all our dads and all of our kids copies of the book, and I think we're going to have a panel discussion um, afterwards. But I'm also thinking, Wheeler, man, that should be y'all. Uh, I got to think about doing a Brooklyn night. I got to think about just you know getting all Brooklyn nights in that in the, in the, in the place. Um, to really celebrate um, John, I'm, I'm sure you could fill that place up with people from Brooklyn in Atlanta. Uh, yes, definitely. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> <Right? That's probably laughs> that would be something else. If yeah, you decide probably. to do it, let me know. I mean, I'll help promote it. I'll help push it okay. out. Okay, all
2: right, let's do it. Then. Um, we could do it. And also, I w- I would love. T- I I have no problem signing the books for everybody, like the books that you're giving away. I have no problem signing them because I, you know, I think that's important. And it's fun, so So, if if we could work it out, I I, I don't mind signing the books.
1: Well, it's awesome. Um, The story is awesome. I love the relationship and the stories you told about your dad, I'm so proud of you. And I'm sure he is smiling on you, um, watching you carry his work and whatever pain he had in the midst of doing what he was doing, it's gone now. Yeah. Um, It's Mark. Um, it is live, it's breathing, it is moving, and it's impacting, so I honor you for doing that work. It's, it's just an honorable work when children honor their parents with their life, and so um, to Taryn and Lorel, the two of you as well, I'm sure you have done great jobs, you know, with this way. I can't wait, you know, to see it and to help elevate it and move it. What's your aspirations for it, Wheeler, um, around the world? Africa, when's the Africa debut? When we go on the exactly.
2: Exactly. Into we're going to Zimbabwe first. That's the first stop. But yeah, definitely. I mean, I I I I I want it to be on Broadway. I want it to be on Broadway. I mean, I've had people say that it's like better than Lion King. So let's do it. And then plus it's not Disney, right? It's it's not. So it's us. So I think it's better. So definitely Broadway. Worldwide tour africa we started in zimbabwe and take it all the way around so I,
1: mufasa versus mustafa mufasa that's a, yes.
3: that's,
1: that's it versus yes.
3: okay
0: okay i'm
2: seeing so, that in the lights I'm seeing i'm i'm seeing that come together Yes, i mean come on disney we, we know who disney is right so come on so we <laughs> we got to do better than that <laughs>
1: So. absolutely listen we got to find a way to get to tyler perry got to get him out there for one of these nights this is would be something um that he can make that happen yes he exactly that happen with a phone call easily yeah. so we're gonna, I'm gonna put a prayer on top of that and and, okay. and breathe that to life you know that well, we I'll, re-
2: I'll do my cindalini yeah. and my reiki so okay <laughs> we'll we're gonna get him. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, thank each of you for being guests on I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Graswell. Um, thank you for all of my listeners. Make sure you go to our website at IAmDadPodcast.com. Um, Make sure you leave your comments and please subscribe. It's important that you subscribe to the podcast because it helps with our algorithms. But before I leave, I want to do this and I forgot this. Guila, give people, um how can they get in touch with you?
2: Um, you I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. You can go to my father. I, I, I would be, I mean, you can come to my um, page, but you can also go to my father's page. So if you go to my page, it's Bwila Steptoe. If you go to my father's page, it's John L. Steptoe. Um, either on both Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, it's all the same. Bwila Steptoe, I mean, sorry, Bwila Steptoe or John Steptoe. And um, there's also, I have a a a not-for-profit I started in honor of him, and that's the John Lewis Steptoe Cultural Center, so you can put that in also, but even if you just put John Steptoe or Willis Steptoe, you'll find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all of the social media.
1: Okay, and we'll make sure we put all these links on our website, so if y'all don't remember all of that, just go to imdadpodcast.com, all of those links will be there. Um, Taryn and Lorel, um, contact information and how can we get in touch with Synchronosity? Yeah,
4: um, you can go to the Synchronosity head. Um, website. Uh, that is just www.synchrotheater.com and that's theater, theater with an R-E, not an E-R. Um, and yeah, you can find that. You can find the details about the project there, um, the open date, and you get tickets to it, so you should definitely stop back by the website to do that. Um, and then you can find me personally. I'm on Facebook and you can uh, get in touch with me through the Synchro website as well. I happen to be the director of education here.
1: Okay. All right. Laurel, composer, music, director, extraordinaire.
3: You're frozen. Yeah, you can um you can find me uh, on Instagram and Facebook at Rail. Just drop the L E. You can find me on the uh at Facebook and Instagram at Rail Ross. Well, Facebook Rail Ross and on Instagram at I am IMRL Ross. Um yeah those are the two places or you can email me
1: at Ross at yahoo.com okay and thank you again everybody for joining i am dad podcast till next week um enjoy your week and god bless see you
0: next time Thank thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us you've been listening to i am dad podcast we hope that you have been informed encouraged you to think or even inspired your heart for the love of dad's the conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IAmDadPodcast.com. That's IAmDadPodcast.com. Until next time, I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child... I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things because of this reminder. I will always understand that I am dad, period. (laughs)